to live beyond ourselves. That how many know that the way of the kingdom is that when we, when we follow Jesus and we give our lives away, it's really when we tap into the sweetest kind of life. Thank you. And so let's pray, and then I'll dive in here um, briefly, and we can... Um, Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that we're, we get to partner with you and that every single boy and girl is royalty in your eyes, God. From conception until their last breath. That by virtue of the blood of Jesus, every man, woman, boy, and girl is infinitely valuable. Would you grip our hearts with that reality, God? Regardless of skin color, demographic, economic status. You grip our hearts, Father, with the reality that you loved, so you gave your best to woo and to win and to redeem the world to the gift of your son, Jesus. We invite you in these next few moments to enliven the text of your word by your spirit. Teach us your ways, Father. We delight in your word because your word is a light and a lamp. It doesn't just show us our next step. It gives us the vision for our life that this thing is headed somewhere that all of heaven and earth and every creature therein will bow before the matchless, majestic name of Jesus. And all of this will be done for the glory of God the Father. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. Father, thank you for raising your son in the power of your spirit, thus declaring that he is the true son of David, the messianic, promised, anointed, ruling, reigning king. And thank you for prevent, presenting yourself for 40 days to your disciples, proving that you really were and are the king. And then thank you, Father, for calling your boy up to the right hand of your throne in majesty where he intercedes and lives to intercede for his church to be people of the kingdom in every nation and every land, no matter who's in office, that Jesus, you're praying for your people not to sell out or to give in, but to press in to the reality with which you walked and lived and breathed, Jesus, and the way in which you've made available through your victorious death, conquering over sin, hell, death, and the grave. We thank you, Father, for the ascended Son, that when he ascended, he looked to the Father and you poured out your spirit so that every man, woman, boy, and girl could be adopted into your family, 
We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that conceives the life of Christ in the dead heart. We thank you for the ministry of the Spirit, Father, that cleanses and that purifies. We thank you for the ministry of the Spirit that uniquely gifts those that are called to participate in your kingdom. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that continues to call forth the fruit of the king and his kingdom and through our lives individually and collectively. We thank you for the fruit and the ministry of the Spirit, Lord God, that we can declare Jesus is Lord in power, Lord, as we live lives founded and grounded in who you are, Father, as revealed through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we come and we bow before you this morning. And we ask that you would grip our hearts with your reality, with your kingdom, and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. I haven't really known what to do, and so I've just been praying. But I'm not trying to be heavy. In fact, I, I will not raise my voice throughout this entire sermon on purpose because it's not about emotion but I just wanna make and share a few comments if you would entertain me. I was on the phone this morning with a brother whose wife is a teacher in Santa Maria and 36 of her children were crying after the election, afraid that their, that their parents and grandparents would be taken. And the church has acted like we've won the Super Bowl. I'm okay, but thank you. I'll take it. Thanks. (laughs) I will not raise my voice this morning, and I will not sit in the seat of a mocker because he who is without sin gets to cast the stone and I am not without sin. But as I've been reflecting on what to share in the wake of millions celebrating and in the wake of maybe more millions weeping and uncertain about the direction of our country, it is God's desire that his church would be an outpost of his kingdom. No matter what nation what style of government, it's God's vision for his people to represent a reality that transcends the reality of their nation state. That doesn't mean that God isn't concerned about how we act in the sphere or the realm of the nation state, but that we never lose sight of the throne that we bow. I'm reminded that Jesus when he was on trial, isn't that odd? That the king of the universe was on trial before men. And Pilate, the puppet of Caesar in the outpost of Jerusalem, asked Jesus if it's true what the people are saying about him. And Jesus responds in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. 
which I've studied that phrase, what it means is that God's kingdom, nothing of God's kingdom finds its origin in man, but it's in God. It's not of this world. There's not a shroud or an ounce in its molecular DNA makeup that springs from here. It all flows from his nature and his reality. And just because Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, he is not saying it's not for this world. You can't hear that. Because you're standing here, or you're sitting here. And if you're in his kingdom, you're a dual citizen, right? Philippians 3.20. So his kingdom's not of this world, but it's certainly for this world. If you agree, say amen. amen. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from, here Jesus tells us, it's from another place. Say that with me, it's from another place. My kingdom is from another place. The reality in which I've walked for 33 and a half years, it wasn't something I saw down here that was being enacted. It was something that I saw in my father as I lived every moment in obedience to his voice. And, and that for 33 and a half years, the life that I lived that was sustained because of my fixed gaze upon my father and my desperate reliance upon the spirit, the life that I've been living, it didn't have its origins in anything I saw you walking in. It was something that I received from my father. My kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. And in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. The truth of what? John 1.14, the word became flesh, which is a way to say that the expression of God assumed the body of a man and so that all that God has ever wanted to say to his world, to the cosmos, to the nations, he has said through his son. The son is the walking, talking script of the Lord, of the father. And he came full of, say full, he came full of grace and truth. And so when he says, the reason I was born as a king, which he's a king, we would agree. If you're a believer, you believe he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to a truth that is otherworldly. A reality that is otherworldly. A reality that you can't conjure up or dream up, but a reality that flows from the reality of who God is and whom I partake of as the eternal son. I came to testify as a martyr, as one who would embody a, a, not just a doctrine or a dogma, but I would enflesh the reality of God in my every move. Yeah. That's what he's talking about by truth. The truth of God. Not only does he embody the truth of God, he embodies the truth of man. Sure. Did you know that Jesus is the perfect man? That is what Theolo, he's, a, he's the perfect man, he's fully man, and he's fully God. I came to testify to the truth. And then he says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
It's sort of like he's, he's expounding on what he told the Samaritan woman in John 4, 23 through 24, where he said, there's a time coming when my, the true worshipers are going to worship in the spirit and in the truth. And it's not going to be on a, on a specific mountain or in a specific nation. It's going to be an eternal uh, cosmic reality. Those who move my heart with their worship are those who worship out of a transformed life because they've encountered the reality of my truth. Are you tracking with me? That's by the Spirit. That apart from the Spirit breathing on the dust, did you know that Adam would have remained just a big clump of dirt? And just like you and I, if you're in Christ this morning, you would have no life in you if but by the Spirit the Lord conceived his eternal life in you. He says, so they got to worship me in the spirit, so it's got to be energized and enabled and transformed. I am the one that's going to break in and going to make their worship an acceptable reality, but it's also got to be on my terms, my truth, the reality of my life, death, and resurrection and my soon return. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate asks, what is truth? It's a great question right now, isn't it? What's truth? Depends on who you ask. Obviously, if you're asking an average poll in our nation, what is truth? What's the truth of my life? What's the truth where this, where this thing's headed? What does it mean to belong here? What does it mean to be a citizen? Are you tracking with me? I'm just being real. You, you guys can be, we can have this long dialogue and we're going to, this is just the beginning, the start of a conversation. What is truth? And according to who? With this, he went on to the Jews. Pilate's trying to get out of this thing. I find no basis for a charge against him. But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. I studied Barabbas, and this is, uh, I Googled the best commentary for the Gospel of John, and it was D.A. Carson's. So D.A. Carson said what I'm about to say. Barabbas was, in his day, the equivalent of a terrorist. This is D.A. Carson, the best exegete of the Gospel of John, according to many sources. I read this morning. So here you see Jesus, the king of the Jews, who his whole life has embodied the truth of God has spoken the truth of God. And here he is on trial. And the, the political, religious, because it wasn't just religious, the, the Jewish leaders, it was, it was you know, kind of goes to the highest bidder. They want him dead. And so Pilate gives them an option. Do you want the king of the Jews or do you want Barabbas? And in and, and Matthew's account of the same passage in Matthew 27, 12, Matthew lets us know that Pilate knows that the only reason they handed Jesus over was because of self-interest. It's the only reason why they handed Jesus over, self-interest. And no, we want Barabbas. And so the story goes on, Jesus doesn't kick and scream and fight because John saw that Jesus in John 129 would be the lamb 
that would be slain for the sins of the world. That they didn't drag Jesus to the cross. Jesus, he went. Do you understand the difference between your life being taken from you and you giving your life? Jesus said in John 10 that no one takes my life. I lay it down. You can't, you're not powerful enough. Remember in the garden, a few verses before this story, when Judas comes to betray Jesus with the kiss, he asks the crowd, the legion of armies, hundreds of army men, who are you looking for? Remember this? We're looking for the Christ. And what did Jesus say in John's account? I am he. And what happened? <laughs> So I'm just, what I'm trying to say is that no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down. And in many ways, every commentator agrees. This story of John 18 is one of the most beautiful stories of all the gospel. Where Jesus dies in the place of Barabbas. My kingdom is not of this world. There's no way that the death I'm about to die, I deserve. But my kingdom's not of this world. And the only way I can bring the reality of my kingdom to bear in this broken and desperate world is to die. And the only way that a world full of Barabbases to get free is if for me to give my life in their place. Samuel and I were hanging out for the last couple weeks. That's why he's my, I pay him to give me claps. (laughs) He told me that the name Barabbas means son of Abba. So here's the son of God dying for the sons of Abba who deserve the death sentence because of our sin and our prejudice, because of our self-motivated propensities. We see Jesus, the son of God, the spotless lamb, not fighting to get his way, but allowing the way and the end result of man's self-interest to be taken out on him. Jesus, Pilate knew it, and he didn't even know Jesus, that the only reason he's on tribal was because people live by self-interest instead of God's interest. Church, I would like to humbly present to you No party in this nation represents the fullness of God's kingdom. And so as we go forward into these trying days ahead, be careful with your word, we. I'm asking you humbly, I love you, I'm not casting stones, but be careful 
when you're talking about the church or the kingdom, and that if in the same breath you're talking about a political ideology or a certain animal, be careful with your word, we. I'm humbly asking. I'm not chastising you. I'm just humbly saying as your pastor, especially in this city of Santa Maria and the city of Oceano, be careful with your word, we. The kingdom of God is not find its origin in the kingdoms of man. That doesn't mean that the kingdom of God can't be in the hearts of men who rule. I'm not a dummy, so don't mishear what I'm saying. Or that the kingdom of God doesn't have anything to say about this world. It has a whole lot to say about this world. Namely, that the way of the kingdom, you won't find the strength or the, you won't find the resolve to live it from this world. You need to be hooked up to me. Both of these expressions mean that Jesus' reign and the source of his life find their origin in a different world. And when John uses the word world, he's not just talking about a globe. John is very careful to use the word world when he's talking about the sphere of darkness, of rebellion, of blindedness and sin. Are you tracking with me? This is the world when John writes about it in the Gospel of John. And the kingships, John knows, the kingships of the world preserve themselves through force, coercion, and violence. And Jesus' kingship, he's saying, finds its origin from a different source. Jesus is saying, my kingdom doesn't work like your kingdom's. And so what is our response moving forward? This is just the beginning of the dialogue. I've been wrestling all week. I, I do not stand up here to be some political, sociological, even theological expert. Everything I'm saying, I humbly submit to you, and I humbly submit to God's word. And I'm not angry. The only thing I'm angry about, the only thing, I should say the only thing, the only thing, I'm, the only thing I'm zealous about is that we never lose sight of the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. People aren't saved through policies. They're saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying policies don't matter or. I'm not saying the Supreme Court and who gets in there, but did you know that it was never the government's job to disciple our kids? It was our job. Amen. <laughs> it's not the school's fault that they got prayer out of it. It's the thing is we stopped discipling our kids somewhere along the line. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't handle it. I can't. I care too much about the truth of the gospel. And I will stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel is good news to every man, woman, boy, or girl, despite their race or their age or their status, is that the gospel is for the world. So I'm not standing up here preaching a good sermon. I'm so sorry if you're a guest and you don't want to ever come back. I really am sorry. 
but one of the things I just can't do is I'm not a faker. And uh, my heart's broken. My heart's broken. My heart's broken. And so my heart's just broken in front of my church family. I hope that's okay. And I want you to know that the victory that overcomes the world, I'll just read it so you'll believe me. This is how we know that we love the children of God. 1 John 5. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is it. Watch this. This is the victory. Say victory. victory. That has overcome the world. What is it? Even our faith. Our victory is directly tied up to the man Christ Jesus. No other man, no other ideology. The victory of God and his agenda for his world to make everything new, to reconcile all creation to himself through his son Jesus. The victory that we share in that story is that we directly relate to by faith the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the family that Jesus is establishing in the world, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. Well, Chad, that sounds pretty bland. Does that mean we just lose our distinctives? Heck no. Sorry if I'm not allowed to say that word. (laughs) The picture of Revelation 5, of Revelation 7, of Revelation 21, or 22, the picture is that nations, these culturally diverse, multifaceted, glorious, different, they're all going to stream and bow before the man Christ Jesus. So so don't don't mistake, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free male. Don't mistake that for bland. The Lord doesn't care about our, no, he made our uniqueness and diversity to point us to the reality of his beauty. Did you know that you have things to learn from people that don't look like you? Did you know that? Did you know that we don't just have things to learn from the people at the center, but those at the margins and the fringes? They have so much to teach us about the kingdom of God. I was in a class, in my master's class, about eight to 12 months ago, and there was a a preacher from Cameroon, a lady, teacher, doctor. She's really smart. And she, she made all of us, and almost everyone in the class was wealthy and white, which is fine. I'm not... I'm just giving you a little context. And here's a Cameroonian woman coming from a nation where um, polygamy is normal. That's the word for men who have multiple wives, are you right? Okay, just making sure, because <laughs> the story falls apart if I miss that part. And she had us do a practice. She had us do this practice where we had to read that famous story in, in Luke chapter 10, verses 40. Eight through fifty or something. Uh, the story of Mar- Mary and Martha. You remember that story briefly, uh, b- very briefly. The story is this: Martha and Mary are in a house, and Jesus and his disciples are about to come crash the party. And so Martha goes into busy mode and crazy mode, and she's like all busting up the house and cleaning it and sweeping it and getting it ready and all these things. But Mary just is sitting at Jesus's feet. 
And, and so we read the story together and she tells all of us, what do you think this story is trying to communicate? And most of us, because we were from the same, we're the same race, same age, same demographic, same upbringing, we sort of thought the meaning of the story was, don't be so busy and press into being devoted to Jesus. You could see that from that story, right? Just wave, wave your fingers at me or something. <laughs> that most of us who are in the fast-paced, middle-income, middle-class, white, in a world that's just busy, all of us sort of got the message, hey, don't be so busy and distracted, spend time with Jesus. But Dr. Fill-in-the-blank, which I'll find her name and I'll get it to you later, she said, do you know if you read this same story in Cameroon for a woman who's got eight other wives to compete with for her husband, she might think, here's a woman that's standing up against the cultural rights of her day, which is to go get busy in the kitchen. She's pressing through what her culture says a woman can do. She breaks the rules and gets at Jesus' feet. Now, what is the actual meaning of the text? What I'm trying to say is we have things to learn from people on the fringes. We have things to learn, kingdom mentalities and scriptures, what's right. Our, she wasn't saying that everything up for the Bible, there's just 80 million meanings, and, but what she is saying is where you read this thing, your actual location influences how you interpret this thing. And did you know, I'm just saying it's called social location. And this is not some spin on postmodernism where there's nothing truth and it's all open to interpretation. No, no, no. This is just called basic biblical hermeneutics. How you read the scriptures and what location you're reading them from affects how you, in, how you read the scripture and how it reads you. Are you tracking with me? So all of, us, all of us getting our educated white boys were like, dang, I didn't see that. I didn't see how that would be how someone all the way across the world in a completely different situation would read that text. Or take, the, take for example, Jesus, um, this is just another example, I'm just helping you, that we have things to learn from people who don't look like us or think like us. Or, are you tracking with me in the kingdom? There's so much we have to learn humbly. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. John 8, 31, 32. What do you think of when you think of that text? Free from sin, free from shame. Are you tracking with me? I'm free, I'm free. How do you read that text if you are in prison for your faith? That's just a silly example. I'm not being cutesy, but you understand that we have so many things to learn. That's why these last several weeks we've been focusing on God's sort of global heart. And here we are in our nation of an incredibly diverse reality and what if you and I as the church went out here not with big mouths but a big heart and big ears and we started listening and engaging people um, and learning from them? Isn't that a good idea? Doesn't that sound just all easy and good? No, it's super hard. It's super hard to listen and to humble yourself. That was just an extra credit. I, I'm sorry. I got... <laughs> Let me get back to my notes. I just wanted to help you. We will only be able to overcome because of our connection to the one who has overcome by faith. Faith that his way, his truth, and his life will be the final definitive word that God will speak over the cosmos. 
Jesus is Lord is the most politically, theologically, earth-shattering and earth-shaping confession in the world. Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, beloved, as we sang in that beautiful hymn, then he demands and he deserves full trust, submission, and obedience. And I'll close with this verse. It's been messing me with all, in all the right ways. There's a famous verse in Hebrews chapter 5. It talks about the Son, Jesus Christ. During the days, verse 7, of Jesus' life on earth, what was he doing on earth? He was offering up prayers and petitions. Wouldn't that be a good way forward, church family? During the days of Cornerstone Church people's lives, we're going to offer up prayers and petitions <laughs> with fervent cries. Maybe not Cornerstone Church, but maybe the other church down the street can do the fervent cries. <laughs> and tears. Is this intense or what? This is just Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect man, perfect God. That during his life on earth, he offered up prayers, petitions, fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And beloved, I want you to know that everything that ails this world, Jesus, Jesus has an answer for. That is not a cutesy Sunday school way is all you gotta do is pray a prayer and you get out of here someday. But that Jesus, and then in influencing and energizing and strengthening his church, partnering with his heart in the world. Beloved, his, his grace is enough. And Jesus was heard because of his, here it is, reverent submission. That's just stunning to me. He's heard because of his submission. He's not heard because of his loud voice. He's not heard because of his, the excellence of his argument or presentation. He's heard because of his submission to his father. Son, though he was, and here's my last challenge with us as we move forward, male, female, young, old, different races, even in this place, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Here's Here's what I want to say in closing about this last verse. And this is just the beginning of the dialogue. And you don't have to have agreed with everything today. I, seriously, I'm fine with that. I'm wrestling. But the way forward for the church, humbly, is through humble, suffering obedience. Jesus didn't just open up a way. He is the way. Amen. And so what Jesus walked in, the path that he forged, he did it so that we could follow after his footsteps. And what this passage means to me as we wrap this thing up, the way forward for the church, regardless of who's in office or what the laws of the land are, what nation you're from or who you represent, the way forward for Christ followers is 
obedience with suffering. Suffering because we realize the kingdoms of this world, no matter who's in office, are not like the kingdom of our God and his Christ. (laughs) Suffering because when we look at Jesus, we see he was utterly misunderstood at every turn from his own family, from political people, from religious people, from his own disciples. Come on, somebody. And so we know humble, obedient suffering is our path because so as he is, so are we in the world. 1 John 4, 17. Suffering with obedience because obedience is never done in a greenhouse. It's always done and played on the field of life. And last I checked, there's a lot of wounded, hurting people that Jesus is calling us to join ourselves to. Are you tracking with me? When one part suffers, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, every part suffers. Are you tracking with me? So why, Chad, this is, that's, that sounds pretty lame. Obedience with suffering, that's our path, Yeah. It was his path. He became the source of salvation so that when we're on this path with him, we don't grow weary and quit, but we keep looking to the one who made a way for us, and he overcame. One commentary said regarding this word, he learned obedience through obeying. (laughs) Let that soak in. That's a pretty deep one. (laughs) He learned obedience Look at this. With an ever-increasing measure, he just kept obeying the next right thing the Father put in front of his path. He loved the one right in front of him. Are you tracking with me? He went lower and went lower. He humbled himself. He came to give his life as a ransom. He didn't come to be served. This, his whole life was this downward arc of, no way, I'm not going to buy into it. I'm not going to buy into self-reliance. I'm not going to buy into self-interest. I'm not going to buy into self anything that revolves around what's in it for me. I'm in it for him. And beloved, when the church follows suit in that kind of compelling lifestyle, I'm telling you the church will be the greatest thing going in any city in this nation and the nations of the earth. If this kind of reality, the reality of humble, suffering obedience, where we suffer alongside of, we cry out with reverent submission at the injustices of our land, of our own lives, of our own world, of our own little city, as we do that, but we learn obedience through obeying, beloved, I'm telling you, it will be the most compelling force unleashed in this world. So powerful, Jesus says it about his church. He says, the gates of hell will not overcome it. The the very source and reality of all the dark abyss of sin, the church, when she's functioning as my people, unstoppable. Through the cross, even though it looked like Satan's triumph, it was his defeat. Not only was it his definitive defeat, but Jesus' whole life and ministry can be described, according to Luke 10, 18, as one black eye after the other to the enemy. That Jesus' ministry done, look at this, in the power of the Spirit and in submission to his Father was one long story of greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. But I want you to know that Through the cross, the death and suffering love of Jesus Christ, the reign and the tyranny of darkness has been dethroned. 
And just like Jesus didn't get to this place of exaltation by garnering the, the, you know, the corner office or the whatever, he, he was exalted in his suffering. You can't miss it. It's the most, one of the elementary truths of the gospel. It was, it, was, it was glory and his shame. He was being lifted up, Isaiah 52, 13. Not lifted up in the sense of voted into something. or any, He was lifted up because he was the, the, he was the sacrifice. He was lifted up on that cross. Even though the, the law said, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole in Galatians 3, the curse became the source of blessing for the world because it was in his suffering that he was most glorified. And I'm convinced, beloved, as we join Jesus in that cross-shaped love, masses will be drawn to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said it. He will draw all men to himself. Come on, somebody. Yes, He'll draw not to his cross, but to himself Amen. as he's revealed through the cross. Yes, and as his people say yes to following him, and listen, there's a reason why the very first word of love is what is it in 1 Corinthians 13? You know what another word for patient is? Long. Come on, somebody. This is just the word of God. I'm not, I'm not making it up. Love is patient. Why is it patient? Because not only are the recipients of the love a work in progress perpetually, but those we're called to love are always a work in progress, so it's got to be long-suffering. It's got to be through the lens and the, the, the narrative arc of the Lord Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection and coming in his soon return. He is the one that we take our cue from. Nobody else. You track it with me. And so I love you. Please email me or talk to me. If you have questions, this is a humble attempt to start the dialogue of what is the church's response in this hour to the celebration on the one side, to the weeping on the other. I want you to know the church is not the organization that buries its head in the sand, but it's the organization that the Lord wants to set on a hill and to say to all of those in whatever city or neighborhood or region, come. <laughs> come on, come. It, it, yeah, no, 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 no. You don't got to clean yourself up first. You just come as you are. The gospel is powerful enough to heal you, to save you, to transform you, to forgive you. No, to put us back together as a people and as a nation. We want to, who wants to be a church in this? I'm raising my voice because I'm over. Lord, to be a city, we want to be a city on a hill. So, Lord, we just bow before you. Already I ask for cleansing on my lips as I've done my best, but undoubtedly, Lord, some heat has been put on my words because of my own wrestling for that. Lord, I'm sorry. However, Lord, I am not sorry for believing that the beauty and the glory of the gospel of the kingdom is the hill that the church is meant to die on. And all that the gospel influences and informs, like family, like life, like nations, like the poor, like people. Lord, let the gospel seep into every one of those areas of our life. And Father, through us following after Jesus, learning obedience through suffering, Jesus, we pray for a great harvest in the city of Santa Maria. Father, for, uh, for black and white, 
Latino, Father, Asian, for whites, for, Lord, for the different reality in this city, we ask for a mighty harvest to come forth in this hour when some are trembling every day they wake up to those who are celebrating and all in between, Lord, it's not us versus them. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in and through your church on the earth by the power of the Spirit following Jesus step in and step out. God, let it come, we pray. Father, I pray blessing upon every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. If there's any in here who feel far away or like an outsider, Jesus, would you win and capture their hearts in your loving arms today? Let them know that they are your treasure, even as we celebrated these royal kids. Let them know that they are yours, that you are for them, and that you love them. Father, we just bow before you, and like the sun, we long to walk in his footsteps. So help us by your spirit, Father. And help us, Lord, in these days and weeks as we move forward, help us to be humble but to be courageous. Help us, Lord, to be loving and patient. Father, we pray, keep us one. And Father, we ask that we would be a place that every single person in this city could come and believe as though they could belong through the gospel. Lord, we thank you that your gospel is enough. It's the good news. We thank you, Jesus. We join you now as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and citizens of this nation that, Jesus, your kingdom would come to bear in and through our lives in this world as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.